Amanda and Corinne, and we are still separated. I mean, I blocks, but so far away, so far away. I hate this. I know it's really sad. But okay, we will persevere. We will for you, dear listeners. We can be strong or something, something like that. I don't know. All right. So, Corinne, uh, what coffee do you have? I am actually mixing it up a little bit today. I am drinking tea. Uh, and this tea has kind of a funny story that relates to this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is from a local tea company called A Witch's Brew. Uh, I ran into the owner distributor at the Logan Street Market with uh, my mother-in-law and my husband a couple weeks back. And when I found this tea, whose name I will reveal when we start doing my segment, um, I laughed really fucking hard, uh, (laughs) pitched our podcast to the guy, and had to buy it. It was a sign from God. Love it. Um, But this is a green tea blend with spearmint, cacao nibs, cinnamon chips, blue corn flour, and chocolate extract. Yum. It's really good. I think I've been brewing it with, like, the wrong temperature of water. I think I'm doing it a little bit too hot. Um, With the green tea, I believe that. Yeah, green tea is so delicate. Like, hey, listeners, if you didn't know this, your temperature really, really matters with your tea. Um, I would not serve scalded green tea to my worst enemies because it just gets so bitter so fast. I mean, I might, but I'm also a vindictive bitch, so. I care too much about tea. That's fair. I did work at a tea store for a hot minute. But yeah, that is what I'm drinking. So it is local. You can buy it at Logan Street Market. I think you can buy it at a couple of other places. I probably should have pulled up their website. I know you can buy some of their blends at Toza. Gotcha. Which is Uh, also where I get stuff by Common Tea Company. Yeah, but uh, everything from a witch's brew is mythology themed. It's... Mostly caffeinated teas, so if you're trying to avoid caffeine, um, the guy does have some herbal blends, but I noticed most were were caffeinated. But those herbal blends also looked really good, and I really wanted to spend more money, but Hunter was like, no, Corinne, we have to eat lunch. And I was like, but I want to buy more tea. (laughs) So. Oh, yeah, you've seen my tea cabinet. I have. I have zero place to talk. Um, I don't have tea right now, but I also don't have coffee for this oh, episode. Oh, what are we drinking today? I am a five-year-old. Oh. And as is fitting with our theme soon to be revealed, I have Swiss Miss hot chocolate. Oh, that sounds good. Because I went on a five and a half mile run in 
a wind chill of 15 degrees today. I love you, but you're a moron. So I get to have hot chocolate. Yeah, you do. I used to use the Swissness packages. There we go. I used to use the Swissness packages uh, with work coffee because our work coffee was always too strong for me because I'm a delicate Mm -hmm. little baby. And I would make what I called uh, cheap-ass mochas. It's what my husband has been doing every morning with our good coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since I bought the hot chocolate mix because we were going to have You know, we did have some big snow and ice storms, and Mm -hmm. I have a two and a half year old. That's fair. You have to have hot chocolate after playing in the snow. This is absolutely traditional, but I will say I actually think that Starbucks hot chocolate is amazing. And did you know if you order a Starbucks hot chocolate, you can order the kid size, which is also served at kid friendly temperatures. So it's not too hot uh, because we have definitely done that as a family. That's so smart. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I learned a thing. And then you have to convince your kid that he can drink it because you might have a kid like mine who goes, a coffee? Oh, no. I was not that child. (laughs) I was like, oh, coffee. 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 I had already finished my coffee by the time he woke up this morning. And when we we were sitting there, I can talk. uh, While he was eating breakfast today, he kept going, you want coffee, mama? Oh, baby boy. And I was like, buddy, I've already had coffee. You want more coffee, mom? And I was like, "Hmm, perhaps I drink too much coffee (laughs) around my kid. Oh, goodness. Am I going to change? Absolutely not. No. Just do what my mom did. I got, I had a mug with my name on it, and she put a little splash of coffee and a lot of milk and sugar. And that was my coffee in the mornings. But she'd also already switched to decaf by that point, because she did that after my sisters were born. Yeah, I have not switched to decaf, and I am not going to caffeinate my toddler. (laughs) Just send him to Aunt Corinne. You don't want that. I do before I give them back to you. (laughs) For our listeners, I'm sitting here wiggling in my and I think Amanda's going to murder me. It's a good thing we're recording separately. Uh I'm safe. Anywho, uh, before we reveal our theme, what is our card pull? Okay, I am back to that beautiful Jane Austen tarot card deck. There goes another card. Whoops. Don't know what that one was. It's not the card I pulled, though. (laughs) I have a bad habit of pulling cards before we record and sticking them in the booklet so that I have both the card and its meaning on hand. And apparently I forgot to put a card back last time. Cold star me. Um, But anyway, we got, uh, it's the five of diamonds, which in this deck is the Hierophant. Very nice. Indicates hit my mic. Indicates tradition. Um, In this deck, the picture is supposed to be Frank Churchill from Emma. Oh, okay. Is one of my favorites. We read it in high school. Shout out to my good old classmate Tamara, 
who had the best takes in the entire class. And if you don't have time to read Emma, watch Clueless. That too, it's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, so um, an emphasis on tradition, um, which again, given that we explore folklore, I think is pretty fitting. I think so. Not as fun as last time. They can't all be winners. They can't. All right. So shall we reveal our topic? Well, so this week we are covering winter myths and mythology and folklore. Which is funny because I hate the cold, but I do like winter mythology. I like winter. I like snow, especially if I can watch it from inside my house. I do not. With a cup of tea and a good book. I do not. Snow is my idea of hell. I hate the cold. I do not want to be cold. I have had my sorry ass dragged to go out skiing twice in my entire life, and I will never fucking do it again. I am made for warm weather. Okay. I'm a lizard. Fair. Yep. I hate it. But I do like winter mythology, so this was still fun for me to research. Good. Good, good, good. Uh, So... My segment today is going to start off really wholesome. Yay! And not end that way. Thanks. So be warned. Great. Got it. But to start with, we are going to learn about America's lumberjack hero, Paul Bunyan. Yay! Paul Bunyan! I definitely watched a lot of the animated specials about him as a child. (laughs) I think that was, like, required in Catholic school social studies classes. In, like, second grade. Yeah. Oof, 90s, guys. 90s was a weird time. (laughs) So, first, some etymology on the name Bunyan. Okay. Because I know this will make you happy, Corinne. Yay! And I feel like I still have to apologize for last episode. (laughs) So, you could go the route that Bunyan, B-U-N-Y-A-N, sounds similar to Bunyan, the foot issue. Mm-hmm. But I prefer the theory that it is derived from the Quebecois expression bon yen, which is an expression of astonishment. Okay. Because there, some researchers believe that the Paul Bunyan myth actually came down from Canada and okay. was inspired by some more esoteric's not the right word, um, obscure French folklore. Interesting. Yeah, I know Quebec and its ilk are very, very French. (laughs) Very, very. Very French. (laughs) And very Catholic. Yep. So Paul Bunyan first shows up in print on March 17th, 1893. Okay. With the line, quote, Paul Bunyan, spelled B-U-N-I-O-N, is getting ready uh, while the water is high to take his drive out. And that was Willett being really upset that he can't come into this room while I'm recording. Oh, boy. I really hope he stops barking. I might have to get up here in a second and let him in, in the hopes that he stays quiet and his shit. Uh so it's believed, though, that 
the Paul Bunyan story was circulating as an oral tradition for at least 30 years prior to this. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, which thinking about it puts it right around the end of the Civil War, which we've discussed before, really did a number on the collective American psyche. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Civil War, not just from a policy standpoint, not just from human rights standpoint, but it messed us up collectively as a society. It was incredibly necessary. Incredibly necessary. Lots of trauma, though. So much trauma in an age before therapy was widely available. Yeah. And, you know, you hear that line, Paul Bunyan is getting ready while the water is high to take his drive out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make sense. No. It's assumed by current day folklorists that it was an inside joke. Oh. Which gives credence to the theory that the Paul Bunyan tales existed prior to this. Um, You know, it was such a bit of pop culture that it was assumed anyone who read it would know what it referenced. Yeah, okay. Because there's no other context around it. Interesting. So... What does Paul Bunyan have to do with the winter? You're probably asking. I am a bit curious. (laughs) As the story goes, Paul Bunyan was a giant, though Mm -hmm. his parents were not. And they were as shocked as anyone at his size when he was born. Oh, his poor mother. Poor Mrs. Bunyan. Woof. He was so large that when he rolled over in his sleep, he caused earthquakes Hmm. And if his axe trailed on the ground as he walked, it created canyons in his wake. And of course, you can't talk about Paul Bunyan without talking about his BFF, Babe the Blue Ox. Yay! That's like the only thing I remember about Paul Bunyan. (laughs) And this is where the winter comes in. Okay. When Paul was a young boy, it was snowing. Mm -hmm. But a weird sort of snow. Okay. The snow was blue. Hmm. Like, cobalt blue. That doesn't sound particularly healthy. It was so blue that Paul braved the bitter cold to go outside to see it up close. Absolutely not, sir. That's what small children do. Absolutely not. Once outside, he found a baby ox lost and shivering and partially frozen in the snow. Fabby. So Paul being the gentle soul that he was, brought the near-frozen ox inside and placed it in front of the fireplace. To his shock, the ox remained as blue as the snow Hmm. when it... Defrosted. Finally thawed out. Paul named the the ox Babe, and the two became inseparable. Okay, that's fair. Um, And there are more Paul Bunyan myths out there. Uh, But what I love is... Paul Bunyan falls under what some academics call fake lore. Oh. Which are stories that began as tall tales and were repeated in the style of traditional folk stories, but were always intended as a way to keep groups entertained. They weren't part of any religious beliefs. They weren't an attempt to explain natural phenomenon. You know, it's just people telling stories? It's just people telling stories. Huh. 
They've always just been fun stories to tell around the fire in the darkest nights of winter to push through until spring. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Right? And because... Right? I love that. And I love that it was such a pervasive oral tradition for so long that multiple papers within a few months of each other in Mm -hmm. multiple states published just little snippets about Paul Bunyan knowing that their readership would understand that's oh, what I the like reference that. was. I like that I a think, lot. I think that's so cool. Um, but I've been entirely too wholesome so far oh, no. this episode. Oh, no. So we're going to move on to a story that allegedly happened in Newfoundland in 1914. And the mm-hmm. story was later incredibly popular in the U.S. as our collective appetite for ghost stories grew and grew. Great. The story goes that a ship sailed up through the ice off Newfoundland in 1914. Uh There were 250 men aboard. On March 30th, ice still filling the sea and the chill in the air enough to take your breath away, 77 men left the ship to hunt seals. Okay. While they were off the ship and on the ice, a mighty storm of freezing rain came seemingly out of nowhere. And this is why winter is ass. And that storm lasted two days. Nope. The storm was so severe that not only could the men not make it back to the ship, but no search parties could go out to try to help them. Yike. After the storm broke, a search party left the ship. 72 of the seven of the 77 men were found dead having succumbed to the elements with five of the men missing and nowhere to be found. Oh, after a couple more days, the ship sailed home as the missing men were presumed drowned and the ship itself became considered unlucky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so a brilliant, some brilliant bureaucrat decided that the way to break the curse was to keep the ship off the ice the next year, tear it apart, and rebuild it. Because Mm. every once in a while, we as a species reinvent the ship of Theseus. (laughs) That's a line, Amanda. (laughs) I do what I can. Oh, I like that one. Okay. do what I can. Two years after the fatal storm, our ship, which I'm just going to refer to as Theseus from now on, Mm -hmm. uh, set sail again. Again, March 30th, something happened. It met up with another ship, the Terra Nova. Okay. A deep, impenetrable fog rolled in at dusk. Great. Theseus could hear Terra Nova blowing its whistle, which was the signal that men were still out on the ice. So the captain of Theseus joined in blowing its whistle as well throughout the night in the hopes that they could help guide men back to the ships through this fog. Okay. The next morning, the fog had broken, and a crew member from Theseus sailed over to the Terra Nova for some business. Mm -hmm. The captain of the Terra Nova greeted him and asked him what time his men had shown back up to the ship. Our crew member was like, um, none of our crew were out on the ice. So... They didn't show back up to the boat because none of them were out on the ice. Do you not know our story? Uh Uh-oh. 
But the captain and the crew of the Terra Nova swore up and down that through a break in the fog at about 10 p.m., they saw five men boarding the original ship. Nope. Mm -hmm. Oh, they need to stage that. (laughs) Confused, the crew member went back to Theseus and told his captain what had happened. Mm -hmm. The captain pulled him aside and told him that the story was true. The night before, he himself saw five men board the ship, all wearing tattered, wet clothing. I hate it. And he swore that he could see through their bodies. Oh! Another crew member aboard the ship overheard them talking and also verified that he saw five men boarding the ship. This crew member had been on the ship those two years previously. And he said that those faces were the faces of the five bodies that had never been recovered. I hate it. You're welcome. That's my segment. I hate it. I hate the cold. I hate winter. That's terrifying. <laughs> Shit. <sighs> yeah. Okay. All right, then. Um. So, yeah. My initial thought process when you were like, hey, let's do an episode on winter mythology went thusly. Winter mythology, right? Winter is cold. Russia is also cold. My friend Yuli is Russian. I should ask Yuli for Russian folklore about spooky winter stuff. So I messaged messaged them. Um, It didn't pan out. Yuli couldn't think of anything that really fit the bill and warned me that if I did find anything, Russian folklore tends more towards tragedy than horror, which is like the opposite of a problem for me. (laughs) Um, but also that they would be glad to help me out with any pronunciation because they are a good and kind person. and They don't want me to sound like a moron in Russian. Thank um, you, Yuli. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> Yuli might listen to this and go, mm, mm-mm, gold star, you tried. Uh, but anyway, I then turned to my good old buddy Google to get this ball rolling since, you know, I'd struck out with asking Yuli. And Yuli immediately reminded me of a classic favorite in the Clemens Tychonovich household. Uh, the Yukiona of Japan. Uh, Yukiona means snow woman in Japanese and is a yokai that one commonly encounters in the winter. My husband also calls me a Yukiona because my hands and feet are always really, really cold. And I do very unkind <laughs> things, like tuck my very cold feet under his legs or put my hand up his shirt. And he does not appreciate this. I'm pretty sure that's just called marriage. (laughs) Remember, remember, when you meet a new couple, you ask which one of you is the sink and which one of you is the source. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yes, he does not want to share his warmth with me, despite the fact that I am perpetually freezing. Um, Oh, fun fact. The tea that I was telling you about is, in fact, the Yukiona blend. And that is why I started cackling because I was like, oh, my God, Hunter, we have to buy this. And I'm explaining to this poor man, like, yeah, every time I put my very cold hands or feet on him, he calls me a Yukiona because that is marriage. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, yeah, having been thusly reminded that I do, in fact, know and love. I just knocked something off my chair. Uh, I do know and love this bit of winter folklore. I headed over to HyakuManagatari.com our good old buddies. 
uh, never fails me. And I found a really, really great overview of this particular winter yokai. So for one thing, there are several names for Yukiona, but they have a pretty common theme. So the first kanji is the kanji for snow, which is read as Yuki. And then some term for woman, ona being the Japanese word for woman. Other variants include Yuki Musume, which is snow daughter. And my new favorite, Yuki Joro, which means snow hooker. (laughs) 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 Thank you, HyakuMonogatari.com. This website has not been updated since like 2014, by the way. If this guy suddenly gets all this activity because I'm constantly talking about the site, I'm going to be very proud of myself. I love that so much. It was so good. Um, so according to HyakuMonogatari.com, it can be difficult to tell which variants are the same yokai and which are their own unique thing. Um, as a rule, Yukiona appear in winter. They are dressed in usually a light white kimono that is clearly not heavy enough for the weather. Uh, they also always have very pale skin. Most variants also have very dark hair. Though, in some stories, the Yukiona's hair is as white as the rest of her. Um, most prefectures of Japan have their own version of a Yukiona. There are some notable exceptions. One is Okinawa, and the other is Hokkaido, which is kind of a surprise. Yeah. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Japanese geography, Okinawa, which is also known as the Ryukyuan Islands, has a climate similar to Hawaii, so unsurprisingly, you're not going to see a ton of snow women there. Um, but then Hokkaido is the far north. Um, the other kind of interesting thing that ties the two of those together is they are both homes to minority ethnic groups in Japan. So that might also be part of why you don't see these same stories. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of variation in Yukiona stories from across Japan. Um, the common theme being that she appears in winter when there's snow on the ground. It could be the first snowfall of the year, or it might be on the cusp of spring. It might be during a blizzard. Uh, in any case, any any event, um, she's perhaps not a yokai that you want to spend a lot of time with. Oh? Yeah. So here is a variant that caught my eye. It's from Ibaraki, Fukushima, Akita, and Fukui prefectures. And I'm uh, reading directly from Yakumonogatari.com for this. This Yukiona has a peculiar trait. She needs to engage her victim in conversation in order to attack. When she meets someone on a dark and snowy night, she will call out to them. If the person answers her greeting, she attacks. Unless you're in Fukushima or Ibaraki Prefecture. In those cases, the Yukiona attacks those who ignore her. And oh, her that's method, rude. And her method of killing is very specific. Uh, anyone who ignores her, she grabs and throws them into a nearby ravine. Okay. So, that's a thing. Um, there are also other variants of these snow yokai. Uh, that are more masculine. So in Wakayama Prefecture, they have stories about Yukingo, which is another snow-related yokai. Um, this yokai is a young boy who only has one leg. And he hops around trees. And I was like, that's so adorable. And then I kept reading. Yeah, it's never adorable. Yeah, so the thought is that Yukingo explain what we call tree wells today which is a phenomena where the snow around trees and other plant life melt faster than the snow around it. Um, and we're not really 100% clear, clear on why this actually is. Um, 
but skiers and snowboarders in particular know that this is a, a particularly dangerous trap. Uh, if you fall into a snow owl, you are going to have a bitch of a time getting out and may actually get stuck and end up freezing to death. Oh, great. So, um, yeah, that is, in my opinion, one more reason why skiing is the actual worst. Um, so once I reminded myself that Yukiona are a thing, I did keep looking a little bit more. And that is where I learned about, from Slavic folklore, so my, my conversation with Yuli panned out. Yay! Uh, there's a figure called Snuguruchka, and I think I said that right. Yuli said that the emphasis goes on the second syllable. So Snuguruchka is typically depicted as a beautiful woman with pale skin. And uh, are you guys seeing a trend here? Because I am seeing a trend here. What? If there's snow on the ground, people who are pale blend in better? Something like that. Um, but anyway, uh, her hair is usually braided up or it's left very curly. And according to the stories, well, one story anyway, an old childless couple sculpted a young girl out of snow and kind of started joking about like, oh, this is our daughter. And Dead Moros, who uh, is typically translated as Father Frost, he's another Russian folklore figure, overheard and being a very kind supernatural dude. Uh, he pulled a Pygmalion and brought the snow girl to life. So she lived very happily with her family for a time. Um, after a while, she eventually fell in love with a young man in her village. And Dead Moros came to warn her, like, you, you need to be careful. But, you know, it's folklore. She's in love. She doesn't listen to his warnings. So in the spring, she went to go be with him because she was so in love and she ended up melting away. But Dead Moros was, like, really sad about it. So he reformed her and she stays with him and helps him fill sort of like Santa Claus like role in Russian culture. Aww. Um, and so like Yuli said, it's not a scary story. It's just tragic. Yeah. And, uh, tangentially, while we were talking about Snogurochka, once I, you know, found the story and was asking them about pronunciation and stuff, uh, they told me about a pop-up book that they had about Snogurochka when they were growing up that was actually written during the Soviet era. Uh-huh. Because Yuli's family came over to the U.S. when they were little. So, given how old we all are, that's right around the fall of the Soviet Union. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're old. So we are. I, I think there are a couple of high schoolers who listen to the podcast, courtesy <laughs> of my friend Elizabeth Cooley. And uh, they're probably going, oh, no. Like, we knew you guys were born in the 1900s, but oh, no. <laughs> Late 20th century babies <laughs> unite. But yeah, that is, um, that's my bit. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> I got to end it on tragedy. You got to end with horror. I got to end with tragedy. This, this is how we do. It's a great return to form. We did it. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, this one was fun. I'm not sure if time is an illusion or if it actually was a shorter episode. Um, we'll find out when I look at timestamps. <laughs> yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks everyone for listening again. By the time this comes out, we'll probably be in second winter Yep, um, because we've already started to have a few days of fake spring here and there. Yep. 
or it'll be springtime and this will be incredibly mistimed. Sorry about that. But we can't predict Louisville weather even when climate change isn't a problem. (laughs) That's okay. The weatherman can't predict it either. We're fine. And climate change is a real problem. It is. So I'm going to say it's not our fault. Definitely not. (laughs) All right. Well, I had fun. I hope you guys had fun listening. Sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, guys. Night. Night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. Boyfriend's